installment of the yummy coco show this is a pop culture variety show for your ear holes with sketches music interviews and games i'm your host yummy coco aka colette prosper i'm a comedy writer and filmmaker on this show we talk about everything from bridgerton coming back on march 25th to kim k is now legally single uh good for you Anyway, this week we're focusing on a good dude, good daddy, a good uh, all around just very positive person named Ryan Porter, who is also a very gifted trombonist, composer, arranger, creative counselor, producer, puppeteer also. Um, He played at this year's Super Bowl we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about much more. He's also been to Ukraine and Russia. Um, also, uh, But we talked uh, last week, so what he'll say doesn't reflect what's happening now. Or it does. I mean, it does reflect, but it doesn't. Um, it's not that current is basically what I'm trying to say. Uh, whatever. But first up, some housekeeping. If you like this show, please give it a rate or review. It's how you can help people to find the show. Let's kick things off with a sketch, which I don't necessarily have a title for, but it's uh, Anna Delvey interviews Yummy Coco for a TV writing staff job. Check it out. Sketch. Sketch. Convicted con artist Anna Delvey interviews a new recruit. Hmm, yummy caca. Now that I am out of prison and now in an ICE prison awaiting deportation, I see you want to join my revamped VIP group at the AF. Oh, um, um, yeah, uh, uh, first, thank you for meeting with me, Anna Delvey. I'm a huge fan of your Netflix show. I'm really looking to get staffed on a TV show and I need more contacts. Okay, I know Shonda. She made my show. And you know, I was one of Josh Safdie's muses in Uncut Jams. Uh, yeah, Uncut Jams. You and Julia Fox, so cool. Okay, what will you do? for me. Anna, I'm visiting you in an ICE facility. I'll, I'll do anything to get a staffing job on a comedy show. Okay, I like that. You, you look ambitious. You don't look broke ass. Okay, I might help you join my VIP club, but I want you to help me. Okay, what? You need to get Putin to get me out of ICE facility and then you can tell him to like 
stop war in Ukraine or whatever after. Oh, I, I don't know. I, yeah. Why? Like it's hard? Well, first up, I'm not an expert in foreign relations. That's a shit excuse. People do foreign relations every day. You're not special. I could do if I wanted, but if I wasn't in a ice detention. So you do, okay? Okay. I'll I'll do it. Uh can I just like text him? Nah. He's probably really busy right now. No, 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 no. You get on the phone. This is my life, yummy coco. Okay. You call him and you tell him to get me out or my father will kick his um, ass. Okay, so you want me to tell Vladimir Putin that he needs to get you, Anna Delvey, out of ice jail? Or your father will beat his ass. Uh, yeah, you tell him that. Okay, I guess that would freak him out. You know who my father is? Scarier than Putin? Hell yeah. Whoa. And then you'll get me a job on a TV show? Like Bridgerton or something? Don't you know how VIP works? I told you yes. It's not hard. That's not an issue for me. I just call Shonda after, after you do this. Okay. I do some due diligence too, of course. You know, there's so many con artists out there. Okay, okay. I'm really desperate. Huh. Yeah, you are. How hard could it be anyway? I mean, maybe he'll, he'll even listen. He'll like listening to the voice of an awkward black female podcaster yeah sure you're not too black maybe black more black than wildest dreams video by taylor swift thanks so let's go take out your phone let's do this okay so he won't like hang up in my face you think right nah maybe he'll think you're you sound smart like me i doubt it but you can dream thanks for that vote of confidence really boosts my spirit Ugh, whatever i'm bored i have another meeting with screenwriter to get me some uh, crypto so get out sure. of here go, 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 go. okay go. I'll, I'll just google Putin's phone number and call him urging him for your release. Or my father. Yes. Or your father will yes, yes, beat, beat his, ass. his ass. Yeah. Yeah, Putin won't mind me saying that. <laughs> oh, okay. Enough. Enough. Okay. Okay. You're good now. Thanks. Go, Go now. Now. Okay, bye. And that's why Putin has not backed down on his war on Ukraine.
And we're back. Awesome. Let's get into my talk with Ryan Porter. Hey, Ryan. Hey, thanks hey. for having me. Yeah, it's great. Um, so the audience is in for a real treat because you are a sought-after performer. You are a trombonist. You've performed with Snoop Dogg, Stevie Wonder, Rihanna, uh, Kanye West. Um, I'd love to for you to talk about that. Nick Cave, even uh, Herbie Hancock. List goes on and on. Um, you've also appeared regularly on TV as a member of American Idol and The Voice as in their house bands. Uh, you played with Snoop Dogg. You've played with Dr. Dre, Kendrick Lamar, Anderson Pack, Eminem at this at this year's Super Bowl. Um, so I want to talk to you about that too. This is the first time you're joining this podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, thank you. I'm excited um, to be on your bo- your podcast. And, yeah. Uh, this- <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's yeah really cool. yeah it's funny because um you've been friends with sean my my husband for forever um yeah. for me um you know i'm not a musician so and and you know i would see you at at events or like um this past weekend i saw you at um kamasi's birthday so it's almost like it's almost like uh cousins like seeing each other at 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 different you know pivotal like you know important events and you know we hang out and uh but but it's funny because uh at, at um at kamasi's birthday recently um, you know, I got a kick out of like my son interacting with all of you um, with like Kamasi or like playing hot potato with Thundercat or like telling Kamasi like where to get his Nintendo Switch fixed. Um, and then your kids were there, too. So like they, they've they also grown up in in this world. So, I, you know, I, I definitely want to talk to you about like um, the world that you're a part of this kind of like Marvel cinematic universe of jazz um, in the LA world that you're a part of. Um, but, and then, you know, I want to talk about, um, you know, uh, playing the Super Bowl, playing trombone, but first can I ask you like some icebreaker questions? Of course. So can you tell me about a person that you met only once uh, who is not related to you but that really made an impact on you and, and it was a, like a memorable experience? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, meeting J.J. Johnson. Was, oh, wow. Was one, yeah, I mean, this is a person who only, I, I met him more than once, but uh, the first time was really not enough to really get to know a person because it's more in passing, you know, it's just that, uh, initial greeting with 12 other people in their face too, you know. And this um, is a jazz great. Yeah, well, he's, he's uh, pretty much one of the most influential trum- jazz trombonists of his era. Mm-hmm. And he was uh, raised like in the 30s and the 40s. Wow. And, yeah, so he was there with Charlie Parker. He was in the band with John Coltrane and Miles Davis, and right alongside of him, but because he was a trombone player, it was, of course, trombone players paid attention to him. But yeah. in the, the whole scheme of the instruments, he was like really ba- breaking the ground for it to be less of uh, an accompaniment instrument and more of an out front instrument. And yeah. JJ Johnson, he was like the, the Michael Jordan of trombone to me. Oh, so, wow. Uh, uh, the first time I met him was at the Hollywood Bowl mm-hmm. in like 1996. Uh-huh. And my school had played there and opened up uh, with Fernando Pullum. Oh, wow. And 
in the jazz uh, program over at George Washington High School. So uh-huh. we were all like thrilled to be there, you know, and it was just like crazy. So he uh, turned around on that revolving stage that they have there at the Hollywood Bowl. Mm-hmm. And I was like going crazy. <laughs> you know? It's like the, it's I, the Mick Jagger of trombone players. <laughs> absolutely. So I literally ran on the stage while he was performing. Uh-huh. And, uh, You're right starstruck. He, I was super starstruck. I was standing <laughs> out. I was like, uh, had so many questions that I wanted to ask him, but I couldn't think of any while I was <laughs> like standing there in front of him. So yeah. he just signed my shirt and I had like a pan- like a program. He signed my program. Mm-hmm. And like uh, years later, I went to Manhattan School of Music and I mm-hmm. studied with Steve Teray, who was another huge disciple of, disciple of like J.J. Johnson. Yeah, he's and from I SNL. Got he, he plays in the SNL band or he used to. Steve yeah, Teray. Well, yeah. Absolutely. And he uh, has been there for many years and and has really played with a lot of uh, musicians that have been just super creative. Rosan, Roland Kirk, Woody Shaw, like Mm -hmm. he was part of the the Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers whole uh, system. So it was just great to take with him, but he was good friends with JJ. So I got the chance to talk with him again, you know, over the phone at his house and asked a little bit more questions that were, uh, you know, just more music related. Uh, And I think that that was like a pivotal point for me to meet somebody who had so much influence over my life who I didn't really know on that phone call. I was like, oh yeah, I don't really know you. (laughs) Like, I know your music well enough to feel like I know you, but you know, I, it was just, I was such a stranger to him. So it was just crazy, you know, just feeling that parallel. But it was a memorable moment for me. I was about 17. Yeah. So that that's the one person that I, I met once or twice, but uh, had a huge amount of influence, changed my whole life. And so what were you able to ask him that still stays with you? Well, I think I asked him <clears throat> about, a recording that he had forgotten about because I, I, you know, from my world, it's just like this record, this record that I listen to is in my life every day. But to him, that was something he did 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't even think about it. Up, he didn't even remember or recall what I was talking about because mm-hmm. he played so much music since the time that he made that record. Mm-hmm. So that dawned on me. I was like, wow. So, you know, it's, it's just incredible how uh, much music he's played and the amount of sacrifice. And I think that that's one of the things that uh, really stood out to me about my interaction, even though it was short, but it just bled out into every jazz musician about how the amount of sacrifice that it took to uh, really break the new ground of being this uh, front man on the trombone and and how much sacrifice that much would have took, you know, and just all of these, uh, this whole domino effect of sacrifice that it took to even make a place for me to mm-hmm. even be talking with you about having a career. So it was just amazing uh, to talk to him for that short amount of time and just hear some of uh, the things that he had to go through being a trombonist. Because of course he was with Miles Davis and mm-hmm. uh, is a famous singer that uh they all played with that they went to europe for the first time with and um his name is is 
John Coltrane, Miles Davis, and mm -hmm. and uh, Charlie Parker were all in the band with a famous singer. It wasn't Billy. Say, it wasn't Billy, Billy Holiday. Eckstein. Billy, Billy Epstein. Oh, okay. Uh huh. Eckstein. Yeah. So they were all in his band, and that was like a long time ago. So he was one of those figures that was there, and just really uh, just hearing his experience. And same thing with a lot of different trombone players that uh, kind of started this whole thing, kind of mm -hmm. broke the seal, you know, so to speak. Uh, a lot of guys in Duke's band, you know, that were there, but more uh, just accompaniment, you know what I mean? Yeah. But just trying to fight their way into being on the front, just like a John Coltrane or, uh, you know, any of these great soloist front guys, you know, so he was that one that kind of blazed that trail for me, so. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. You know, what from great. What, what you're describing to me, it reminds me of like this TikTok trend called main character energy. And it's like what the, all the, like the Gen Zers are talking about. So it's like the idea of main character energy is that one is taking control of their life. They're trying to focus more on themselves, making their wants and desires first and foremost, you know, therefore becoming the main character of their life. And so when somebody thinks of like a trombone, it's like, uh, like a side man, like a, like an accompany, uh, accompanying instrument. But how do you bring main character energy to your playing, to um, the kind of projects that you work on? Uh, I think it's, it's just like you're saying, I, I think role playing has a lot to do with it. Uh -huh. You know, because of course you you're used to being a supporting in a supporting role. Yeah. You know, and and helping other people to kind of manifest their dreams. But of course, you you see yourself in that image too. And I think one of the things that helped me the most is not really seeing myself as a trombone player. You know, not even seeing my instrument as a trombone. I think that the role playing kind of helps. If you want to be like John Coltrane, for instance. Yeah. then you kind of have to slip into a mentality in which the saxophone players have to where you would have to try to imitate yourself as a saxophone player. And I think that that's one of the reasons why I like John, um, John Coltrane and, of course, J.J. Johnson. But J.J. Mm -hmm. Johnson was the first to, uh, when I asked him, like, who's his favorite trombone player? Yeah. You know, he told me it's not. He, he, he liked Lester Young. So that's Le one and of the Lester great Young is a sax yeah, player. Yeah, he, oh he, wow! He, yeah, so he was imitating a sax player, and that was breaking new ground for him technologically oh, wow. on uh -huh. the trombone to reshape what could be done on the instrument. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think that that's every trombone player who wants to be a frontman would have to really uh, try to take their technological sense on the trombone to another level. So yeah. that you can play with a trumpet player or you could imitate what a saxophone player is doing. And that's what is so special to me about J.J. Johnson. And he made that first attempt to be uh, role play and yeah. do the hard and challenging things that it takes to really play those tempos and to really play all of those snaky uh, melodies and things. Mm -hmm. And he stood up to it. You know, so it was just like he never got canceled out and pushed back into the back. He always technically had the uh, the ability to stay in the front. So yeah, because he had that every... main main character energy. Absolutely flowing. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. So I ha I have some more icebreaker questions. One is, what's your favorite scent? 
my favorite smell, I think it's Franken frankincense. Or, oh, that's a nice it, one. Yeah, because it's something about that smell that smells like spiritual to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, also so good in winter too. Like it's it's um I have a, a friend uh, who's a veterinarian actually, but uh, my friend Tony, but he he'll put like um frankincense behind his ears like in the winter time because I, I think it's um I think the essential oils or something. It's uh like it has really good properties and like uh like boosting your immune system and and smells really it's beautiful. I love I love smells like that or like sage. Those are my favorites. I like frankincense yeah. too. Uh huh. Yeah, no, this it's a uh, a place in Lamert Park where I go at this uh, shop. Is a guy named Sika, and you at Na- Napoli Sika. Naturals. Uh no, no, his his shop is called Sika. Sika, Sika. okay. Yeah, and it's right by a, World Sika. Stage. Yeah, it's it's uh across the street from the New World Stage. Okay. On the east side of the street, mm-hmm. and it says S I K A. And I've been going there for 20 years. <laughs> yeah. Sika makes jewelry, but he also sells dashikis and different uh, fragrances. Oh, and nice. People promote their fragrances there. And this one lady, I forget her name now, but she's been making this fragrance that has uh, frankincense and rose water. Ooh. And the combination is beautiful. So I've been wearing it for years. And I feel wow. ashamed not to be able to do a better commercial, but. That's no, what this got is me really this is amazing. This is a great like beauty wellness tip, Ryan. Because like, yeah, I mean, I spray my face with rose water in the morning. I love frankincense, and then you know somebody that combines the two together. So this is like, okay, I need to find, I need to find this woman. I need I to go get you to Sika. Yeah, oh, it's right over in the neighborhood, and Sika. Yeah, he knows her, and he keeps. And I can tell you, he's got a $30 bottle, it's good. And then he has a $15 roll on, nice. $5 roll on. And I started off with the roll on and it, it, I would just put a little bit behind my ears, uh-huh. you know, and just on my wrist. And it just changed my energy. Yeah. You know, it, it's something about those two smells together. So. Oh, wow. Okay. This is awesome. All right. So uh, you were talking about dashikis, which is also kind of, I, 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 when I picture you, I kind of picture you wearing like a dashiki, like if I, if I had to picture you in my mind, but like, um, so like, what's like sort of like your fashion go-to must-haves like when you're on tour, when you're, um, what, what is your typical I'm on tour fit look like? I think, you know, uh, it's comfortability, you know, (laughs) and Mm -hmm. I think, because of travel, um, I like daishikis because it really eliminates pressure. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times when you step out of the country, mm-hmm. people um, treat you different because you're American. They treat mm-hmm. you more different out of the country because you're American than they do inside the country. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that I like is being able to put the daishiki on and have them see me as an African. Okay. Because then yeah. they treat me like an African mm-hmm. and not like so much like I don't want to be treated like an American, but I think it creates an even plateau to where it opens the door for them to know that I acknowledge that culture, you know, and to open the conversation to where I can learn and they can learn from me culturally. So it could be a cultural exchange too as well as a comfy piece of fabric. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's colorful like it's like a, it's like an automatic uh nice outfit. Oh yeah, no, I love the creativity of all of the the stain wash, 
dashikis, a lot of the uh, a lot of them that have tritons and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, they they represent so much in so many parts of Africa, and they are kind of being carried along in a lot of traditions of band. You'll mm-hmm. see like Dizzy Gillespie wearing this dashiki. You see so many uh, musicians who understand like the sacrifice and all of the things in a spiritual level mm-hmm. that help this music to be like beautiful. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So yeah. that shirt or those dashikis kind of represent that uh, side of life where people enjoy that stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, what's one of your weird quirks? Um, probably that I make interesting food combinations. Okay. <laughs> and it's not disgusting, <laughs> but you know, I like to cook. <laughs> so what's a you know, what's a combo? Like who, well, you know, I think it's it's like uh, most of the time, like I make things that I haven't had at restaurants, so I can make um, fried salmon. Mm-hmm. Most people don't think that that's much, but like I fry salmon like catfish. Okay. <laughs> I, you know, some people think that's strange. They're like, no, you're supposed to bake the salmon or put it on the grill, but I deep fry it. Oh, and wow. it comes out, tastes, it reminds me of catfish, but it has this, this salmon thing that is it, the best of both worlds to me. Uh-huh. So you you're know? like breading it and, and also, putting it in deep fryer? I put it in cornmeal. Uh-huh. And I seasoned cornmeal <laughs> and I, I fried in olive oil. <laughs> uh-huh. And uh, every time I give it to people, they're like, I've never had this before. And most of the things that I make in the kitchen, people, like especially for my kids, mm-hmm. like we don't get this anywhere else but you. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's got to be one of my weird courses that I, I'm very courageous in the kitchen. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> What's something else that was unexpected? Um, avocado French fries. What? I, I like, yeah, I take ripe avocados and I do the same thing. I like seasoned flour and I'll even like fry them in avocado oil. But I think that uh, instead of eating French fries, uh-huh. you know, sometimes it's great to have like a healthier option. So uh, while I'm waiting for those avocados to kind of get ripe so I can use them to make guacamole. Instead of that, I'll just take them while they're kind of not ripe yet. Yeah. And make french fries out of them. Wow. Yeah. And they taste amazing. Wow, that's a really interesting connection. Because, like, I never, I would never think to fry up avocado because I'm thinking it's going to melt. I'm thinking that it's, um, it's just not, it, it's going to be weird. But, but. But then, no. like when you when you describe it, I'm. I mean, it's. Uh, it, it sounds like it, it. It is not. If it's not too ripe and it's it's breaded, it can kind of. It can stay. It can keep its shape. And it actually would taste. It actually would taste really good. And so that's it something that you amazing. just. You I were just like, <laughs> wow. So you're just like, I'm just gonna try this and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna and, I'm gonna uh, give this side you know, item of a, a main character energy. There we go. I'm gonna make these <laughs> avocados and turn them into a front man. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> what's what's your all time favorite TV show? 
I think my all-time favorite TV show um, would have to be Martin. Yeah. Martin. You know the TV show Martin with Martin yeah. Lawrence? Yeah. That's probably a show that I could watch would never mood I'm in. When I don't know what to watch, I can watch an episode of Martin in Beef Crime. And that might be coming Just back with the soon. Comedic, uh, mm-hmm. I would hope that I could take part in that. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, I think that what he did with uh, him and Eddie Murphy, mm-hmm. of course, with, with the amount of characters that they can make and just mm-hmm. portray, it's Shanae. almost like a song. It's like, you yeah. can create a... Yeah, Shanae, Otis, uh, yeah. Romy Rome. Yeah. You know, these guys are familiar characters in all of our lives. And they, they kind of like these songs. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you can get a song that reminds, that is so familiar, but it's new. But it has all of these qualities of things that, that provoke all of these sentimental thoughts in you. And I thought that that was so amazing that he can do that with characters. Mm-hmm. He can create somebody that is so familiar but like it's like everybody knows him but he's new you know Otis the security guard he's like every grumpy old security guard you ever known but he's taken all of those qualities made him so familiar and funny to where that's my favorite all too show is just like it's comedic it's got some drama but it's not it's always light you know and it's always like uh relatable yeah so Martin probably one of my favorite shows yeah especially in that time period because like I, I remember martin coming out and then at the same time he had deaf comedy jam so he was just like everywhere um especially um by that time um you know eddie murphy of course he had boomerang but like he was still sort of on top but like uh martin lawrence emerged as this like next best thing um and and then he you know had all the characters and then and then you know you see him everywhere and it's just hilarious um i mean the douche jokes don't uh uh those those don't uh that did not survive the 90s um but but everything else (laughs) everything else uh, has remained uh funny yeah the classic classic but yeah i want to know also like your favorite movie so like brandon coleman who he was on episode 23 of course we all know coming to america is his favorite but like what's your all-time favorite and he just had a birthday too recently Mm. Oh yeah, you sure did. I was at his party. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, party. we were we were there, cousins. <laughs> yeah. So, so, what was your favorite? Yeah. yeah, what was your favorite movie of all time? I'm gonna have to say, and I love The Wiz. The Wiz. I haven't uh, seen that in forever. Diana well, Ross, Michael Jackson. Diana Ross, Michael. They had an all-star cast. Uh huh. You know, uh, Nipsey Russell. Yeah. Uh, just, just a great host of people in general to do this project you know and just uh dancing was amazing Mm -hmm. just the fact that they can put you in a world to where you are scared of the wizard like when i first saw it, this is the 80s i must have been like five or six Mm -hmm. and i was scared of i was i was so into the movie that i was scared of the wizard myself like you know it just it just made it kind of dark and interesting the music had all of these amazing arrangements of you know it's songs Quincy, that you were familiar with Jones? you got a different 
Yeah, I think it was Quincy Jones. It was, or was Quincy it Barry Jones with a whole. Okay. Uh-huh. I think it, it might have been, uh, it was definitely Quincy uh-huh. with a whole lot of help. Like yes. Herbie Han- he had all of the best musicians. So uh, he kind of created the, the frame of it, but I think the level of talent that he got made it into something else. And I, I think that was the best part about it is like seeing him being able to paint something that wasn't necessarily for any other artist. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course they were there, but it wasn't the best part about that movie was it wasn't for Michael Jackson or it wasn't for Quincy. It was for us. It was for the kids that watched it. Yeah. And I think that energy made it great. So that's what made it my all time favorite movie. It was like seeing them give their energy for something that was something more for their career, for the people that were watching it. Yeah. And their career was amazing. Yeah. 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 Um, and it's one of those movies where it's just like, yes, it's a movie, it's a it's a story, it's a, it's a production, but then they weaved beautifully like the music side of it. Like, um, you know, people always talk about like the needle drops, like in, in movies uh, currently where they'll have like a hit song and, and it's playing during like a pivotal scene in a movie. But like the the Wiz uh, created something where where. Um, you know, both the music and the and the movie came together in a in a like a symbiotic kind of, um, um, just like hyper hyper creative, uh, memorable way. But but it's uh it's it you know the, there's musicals of course like that that we've had for, um you know fifty hundred years we've had we've had huge uh productions huge musicals but this one was just like very special because it had um it had all these like world famous uh players but then again i'm thinking like the who i'm thinking tommy but like um there's something more accessible about this movie than like say say tommy and um i know tina turner um jumping out of nowhere and and singing i don't know i'm rambling let's (laughs) let's keep going if you could no 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 it's good ramble though (laughs) Because you tapped on a couple of different conversations, right? Yeah. There because even though it was a, a like a, a story that multiple people knew, I think that the best part about it is that it had a perspective mm-hmm. from uh, African American perspective. Yeah. And it just gave you another take on how they kind of infused that perspective through that lens and made it something else. It's almost like uh, me making tacos. Tacos mm-hmm. have been around forever, but me being a black man making tacos is going to be a totally different taco. Yeah. And that's kind of what The Wiz was to me. It was like Quincy Jones making tacos as opposed to, <laughs> you know, I know that sounds weird. Yeah. But it's still tasty. <laughs> yeah. It's different. It's different, it's but tasty it's tasty. It's still a taco, but it's. Right. 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 So okay. That so that's all I had to say about that. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Um, so like if you if you could be any flavor of ice cream what flavor would it be and why mm. of course the classic you know because my mother used to take me to thrifties i'm a thrifties guy like that thrifties was like my first ice cream in, <laughs> you know in the I mean? rite aid the one in the, in the rite aid oh yeah yeah, because yep, that, right that's something. <laughs> yeah, because that's something distinctive in in California. We don't have that on the East Coast, where you have like an ice cream store inside a pharmacy. So, uh, so yeah, here if you go into the Rite Aid, there's a thrifty stand in in many of the Rite Aids. So you would go to your neighborhood Rite Aid with your mom. What would you get? I would go there with my mom. 
I will get the strawberry. You know, that was the first uh, initial, my f- first favorite. And then it moved on to rainbow sherbet. Nice. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. So you like, you like the, yeah, the, but- the bright, colorful, kind of like fruity ice creams. Yeah, yeah, I do. Like, I think in my older age, it changed. But mm-hmm. like my first, you asked me about my first love, that mm-hmm. strawberry is my first love. <laughs> do like, you make ice I cream? Like, no, no, oh. that's like science. That's, you know, <laughs> no, I'm just like, I, I haven't tried. I I would love to, but I just feel like it's, it's one of those things where you really, uh, it's, it's no easy way to make ice cream. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, we had, we Is had it? an ice cream maker. It, it's, it's not that easy, but like Cuisinart has a really good ice cream maker. Um, and I asked this just because like you, you like making, um, you know, fun, fun food concoctions. So like, um, with ice cream, you can do that. And I think that there was a place in San Francisco called Humphrey's Locum and they, they used to make, um, I think it closed or they might still be in existence in in SF. I haven't been to San Francisco in a while, but like they had like a, a strawberry and balsamic ice cream. Mm. Um, yeah, Mm. like there, there are lots, there are lots that you can do. Maybe that's you know that's something yeah, well, for you know, for the year for the new year. Makes getting to yeah. Make some well, ice cream. you know, it's when I've been yeah, like I've tasted a lot of strange ice creams when I've been traveling. Uh huh. Like I've I've had uh, I think the strangest one that I've had was garlic, garlic ice cream in Gilroy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I've I've had had some, it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and I, I that was strangely good. I like yeah. garlic ice cream. I didn't think I would like that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we had it too. It's in uh, Gilroy, California. So that's like on the, I guess it's on the five, like going up to San Francisco. Um, and Gilroy, for those who don't know, it's like the garlic capital of the world or of California at least. And uh, And yeah, you can get garlic ice cream. And I think it's like vanilla based. And then it has like little, little specks of garlic. It is tasty. Yeah, no, it's it's really good. Like it's something you can get accustomed to, but it's one of those things where you almost don't want to have it on a regular basis because mm-hmm. it's just something special about. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you want to? Yeah, you just want to keep it to those uh to those you know road trip times. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk to you about puppetry. Uh, that was something I was surprised because when I talked to Brian, um, I'm sorry, when I talked to Brandon Coleman. Uh, again, he was in episode 23 of this show. Uh, he told me that you've been working on a comedy show with puppets with you. Um, and uh, and I, I just want to know about pu- I was like, he makes puppets. And then when I when I told Sean, he was like, yeah, you didn't know that. And I'm like, no, I didn't know that. <laughs> so like what how did puppets come into your life? Um, you know, how does it connect to music? Uh, what are you trying to what are you trying to do with it? Well, I think that. Um... Puppets came to my life through, uh, through of course, Sesame Street, watching mm-hmm. the Muppets and Jim Henson. And um, they re-entered my life when I had kids. Yeah. You know, once you have toddlers and you're trying to entertain them and find something wholesome and good for them to watch, puppets come up, you know, and Muppets. And, and it's almost like you're happy to really give them that introduction, you mm-hmm. know. So I was really happy that my kids we could share the love for the Muppets and just watching them. So uh, at nighttime, of course, when they were like learning how to read, story time would come up. 
-hmm. and you want to make story time interesting so I would role play a lot of the characters because it's just me reading by myself so I would make these voices to kind of portray different characters and they thought that was funny (laughs) but I think the biggest thing the first step was the sock puppet Mm because then you start to change these characters up and you realize that they like listening to the puppet more than they like watching their old ashy dad like reading the story. <laughs> 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 so like uh I I got into like <clears throat> the sock puppets first. Mm-hmm. And then once they got a little older and with the help of YouTube, we checked out some tutorials and we found a couple uh good puppet tiers and puppet makers online that made easy puppets for us to make at home. Mm-hmm. So we we made some puppets together and uh Mine came out terrible. It scared the kids at first. It was like nothing they wanted to remember before going to sleep. So mm-hmm. I really had to like uh, learn how to make cuter puppets. And my kids were like the ones that would help me know if they were cute or not. And then we would do our story times that way, but it helped with the character role play of, of mm-hmm. just over the conversation of what characters were and what they were supposed to mean and like, you know, what What was this special character's thing, you know? Mm-hmm. So it was easy to slap some felt together and, and make this image, but what is it gonna act like? Who is it like, and why is it like that? So that became the discussion, even beyond the stories. Mm-hmm. So uh, we decided, me and my kids, we decided to rewrite all of the nursery rhymes. Oh, wow. You know, yeah, so we, that's where Spangalang Lang came from. Yeah, right? I was going to ask you. Uh-huh. So we, we got into the puppets, and, and the more we got into the characters, and, like, uh, the storybook that I was reading reading them, it had all of the different nursery rhymes in there, but it was the extended version, mm-hmm. where they had the extended versions of uh, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, Row, 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 Your Boat, and it brought out more of the double meaning of it. It's like, oh, even as an adult, I love Twinkle Twinkle Little Star because yeah. it's about a traveler getting lost in the night and using the night star to find his way back to civilization. Like, adults can use that, you know? What yeah. I'm so we we rewrote these songs and uh, mm-hmm. kind of made them a little bit more music, uh, like a little bit more musically challenged than what the n- normal nursery rhymes are doing because they were just more xylophones and very watered down. But to have these songs actually have arrangements and be something that can connect to the parent and the kid was kind of my mission behind it. But the kids didn't know it, but it was really helping me to introduce uh, the power of change and perspective to them, you know, just like the Wiz did for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, because um, yeah, Spangle uh, Lang Lang Lane. Um, it's a it's really beautiful. Uh, it features a reworking of classic children's nursery rhymes, but like with expansive orchestral suites. Um, what made you decide? So you were working on that with your kids, which is really beautiful. Because I, I I I sense that there's um, a connection for you with like sort of like child childlike wonder with with creativity. So, but like, what made you decide to go that r- route with your first album? I think that kids are always important. And I think as, as musicians, one of the things that uh, we can do best is give back, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that there was a, a something, especially as a musician, it takes hours of practicing and getting ready and rehearsals and all of this stuff. And when you have kids there 
it's easy to make them feel like they're in the way. Like, mm -hmm. oh, I need to practice for this. But this was an opportunity for them not to be in the way and actually take part in something. And and I think as a parent, that's one of the things we don't want to make them feel like, you know, they're in the way. So mm -hmm. it was it was a great time for us to make this, first of all. And then <clears throat> second of all, it was another chance for me to introduce something that has been helpful to me with the puppets and the character making and just music in general and to be able to create something with them and show them that you could take things out of your imagination and actually have them. So we did the videos, we did the CD, and it was something that we talked about, but we actually completed and they had it now. So it was just like, it was great to see that these things can come from in your imagination yeah. and be in real life. So that was like the, the whole point of, of us finishing it, doing it. And, uh, of course, they're preteens now, so they they're not making a whole lot of puppets. They're more in the instrument. <laughs> my 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 older daughter, she's more into uh, like animation, and and she's mm -hmm. an amazing artist now. So it's just like they still got something out of it, but it wasn't like the puppet thing was more of a transitional toddler phase, as most kids are. You know, they don't stay in the mm -hmm. Elmo their whole life. So yeah, no, yeah, that, no. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What and then one of your kids that was on um on your Insta, you you were collaborating uh and together and you were playing some like a Beatles cover or something. Yeah, yeah. That's another thing is like the older your kids get, the more you start to see yourself in them. And mm -hmm. my both of my daughters I could obviously like see myself, but like uh with what how they think and mm -hmm. what they like, like it's different when I was a young kid and going to the record store and finding what I like and finding my favorite parts of a record and transcribing that on my trombone and like all of this stuff. But to see your kids doing it without you having to tell them is like, it makes you want to cry as a musician. You're like, you're transcribing this song. Like, so uh, you could just, I don't know, it's a beautiful experience. So I actually wanted to learn what she had been transcribing and mm -hmm. It's a, it's like almost like a, a weird mind trick as a parent. I'm sure you know, mm -hmm. but you really want to see how much your kid knows when they show you. Yeah. Like show me how to do it, and just <clears throat> having that perspective of her is so beautiful. That so I just wanted to share that on Instagram because it's just like it went from me like trying to be this influence and not really trying to preach to you, but just be more of an example mm -hmm. to you, just doing something to where you show me now <laughs> and it's just that's, like yeah that's amazing and yeah it's amazing how they they end up teaching you something that you didn't well, realize they they've been teaching me stuff ever since they came on the planet and yeah. i don't think that they even realize how much as kids they teach the parents right you know uh in in more ways than once in ways they don't even understand so yeah uh, <laughs> yeah so it, it's just uh her look into my world to see, hey, like you're teaching me. And sometimes that's unfathomable to them. They're like, how can I teach you something? But, you know, even that the music was a great example for her to show me something. And yeah. just kind of show, you know. Yeah, because, so. uh, you know, just what you were saying, it's 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 all about like listening, which is um, sort of like the cornerstone of, of of jazz, of playing is is listening, listening to your to your, you know, the people that you're playing with. And as part of uh, 
you know, being a parent is listening. And sometimes it's hard to it's hard to listen all the time. It you really don't want to listen all the time. You just want to <laughs> chill. And yeah. you can't, you gotta keep listening. It gets exhausting. Yeah. It gets exhausting. And I think that it uh really is I was happy that they had each other, mm-hmm. you know, and and because uh, I have two girls. So mm-hmm. they always had each other to kind of like talk to. So when they're talking to each other, I always had this break. I'm like, all right, cool. Talk to each other. <laughs> talk amongst yourselves. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right, but I, I always wanted to make them feel uh, like you do, that, that what they're saying is important. But also that it's the time for everything. And mm-hmm. I really take the, uh, thank the teachers and the other people that helped, you know, that were in their lives, too, to say, hey, now is the time for this and the time for that. And mm-hmm. it wasn't just all up to me. You know, yeah, I mean, as Hillary Clinton famously said, it takes a village and it really does. It really does. And I'm I'm really happy because your kids like and along that way, they start to introduce you to people in the village, you know? Yeah. And it's just like they, they have their own influences and stuff. And it's just amazing when they get older to see their influences and, and really uh, say, hey, I like this record. Like, I didn't know anything about that Beatles song until Anya showed it to me or Mm-hmm. Or her guitar teacher is great. I didn't know him until, you know, so these people come in your lives mm-hmm. and they are big influences on your kids. And then they, you kind of learn why. And yeah. Like, hey, that's really cool. <laughs> so, so and and then uh, so, you know, from from Spangle, then your next album was The Optimist, which is more free sounding. What were you um, looking to do with with that project that was different from from your first one? I think with the Optimist, it was more. Uh, I named it the Optimist because it was really what uh, this unseen, unthought of thing that you're getting ready for. Mm-hmm. It's like as a musician, you always like in the art form, you're practicing and trying to attain how to do this on your instrument or how to take a better solo or how to be more of a listener or so many things but to see guys who were sacrificing their time Mm -hmm. and their energy like Kamasi a lot of those recordings were at his garage yeah you know so I think I remember I think I remember that garage at like maybe his dad's house or something yeah yeah (laughs) Uh and we were just there and we were just trying to really uh be better musicians so mm-hmm. we knew that it take playing together and all of these different things and learning each other's songs and working on each other's songs so it was just the fact that we were doing these things and not really knowing what the future would entail but knowing mm-hmm. that we had to get ready and just keep these things like you know and that was the spirit of the record it's like everybody's meeting up just so that they can like have another opportunity on being a better artist and, and not really knowing what that would take them, but they, it was going to take them somewhere, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it was just that optimism and, and uh, just the fact that we were doing that just out of love, just because right. we love the music. And that energy is what the optimist was all about. It was like everybody on that record was just uh, just an extraordinary musician and a, a spirit and just really uh, was in love with the music in a way that inspired me so much to, Say, even though it was in the garage and it wasn't the best quality, the mm-hmm. performances were amazing. And it kind of put a timestamp on where we were because I was about 
25 or 26 when I made that album. It wasn't yeah. anything that portrayed how I am musically now, but it made that stamp on uh, the fact that everything that I wanted to come out of that album came out of it. You know, like I got the chance to tour that record and sell it to people all over, you know, so. That's it was, awesome. It was really, yeah, no, it was a great record. It was number nine on Billboard for like a week. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> Uh, so it's like know, at, like how Netflix has like a top 10. You were number nine in that like top yeah. 10. That's amazing. Yeah. It, That's was, great. it was really cool. So I, I was always, I mean, it's crazy to sit there and be inspired and be happy with something, but to share it to the world and they still, uh, they feel the same way. It's, mm -hmm. it's cool. So I had a this, lot of support. This is great. So like, um, you know, because we were talking, so we we're talking about Kamasi, uh, you know, uh, you know, this this points to like the world that you're a part of, which is like this amorphous bub bubble, kind of like uh, like the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you know, it includes Kamasi, <laughs> but then it's also like Brandon Coleman, it's Taylor and Cameron Graves, um, but then it branches out to also include Flying Lotus and Anderson Pock and, and Thundercat, you know, again, going back to the cousin thing. You know, me, like, you know, when I would come to L.A. with with Sean, you know, I remember you riding in, in repurposed cop cars, you know, playing at the <laughs> piano bar with the West Coast uh, Get Down, which you helped to create. So, you know, what's it like to be a part of like this large, um, this large scale like jazz? It's a very specific kind of like jazz world um, that you're a part of in L.A. And, and what's it like to be a part of it? How has it helped you? And then also, um, you know, has there been a time where it, it might have taken you off of your 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 main character energy, like your your personal creative path? Well, I think that uh, I'll answer the questions in order. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot all in one, but the, it all feeds yeah. into each other. Yeah, no, no, they all relate. I think that uh, what makes the guys in the West Coast get down or the younger, you know, like Cameron and Brandon and Kamasi and those guys that you see me with normally. Yeah. Um, so special is that we, we met each other at such a young age. Same, yeah. same time when I met Sean, you know, in my mid nineties. Yeah. And I think that. You were all, you, you were all like, you know, 14, 15, 16 years old. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. Around that time, I think mm -hmm. it was, uh, divine for me to meet these guys because you know when you go to the library or to the record store you find that book and mm -hmm. you get immersed in that book that artist that writer or whatever and you feel like you're the only one who knows you know mm -hmm. but then you meet somebody else who who cherishes that book you're like oh man like I found somebody who like a, a kindred person of my most personal thoughts and time yeah. and that's how I felt with all of these guys who really cherish jazz for what it was you know, it's just like, you really love this music for what I get out of it. And I don't find you guys are far and in between. So the fact that you like this music and you're great musicians, like you made this choice to want to like sacrifice for this music. And it's not the coolest music. You don't see like millionaires, <laughs> trombone players, like hopefully you will, but like, you know, it's just one of those things where it's really about the integrity of the music and, and watching somebody who is willing to take those uh, sacrifices and all of that trauma and make it into something that can help somebody yeah, was the biggest thing that I got out of all of the guys who I interact with. 
you know, uh, and really helping them to facilitate those dreams and say, hey, well, you have dreams and great music. I'll do this to help you to get something so that you can show the world that, hey, this is what you can do. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, uh, that's why I really was had no problem giving my time, you know, when we got together and made all of our records, you know, and just saying, hey, this is helping them facilitate that community of people. And, and it widened. You know, it went to yeah. Snoop Dogg and I've done records with Kendrick and Jay-Z and all of these people. Yeah. And it, it's not so much that I can be them, but it's more about they respect the fact that, like, of what I do and, and, and accepting me onto their project, you mm-hmm. know. And that my friends had a way for us to be on the same record because everybody is getting these jobs and they're not just thinking about themselves. Right. They're you bringing know? you with them. Yeah, so that's what kind of widens the web of creativity. And next thing you know, you they're on the Super Bowl with all these guys that yes, (laughs) (laughs) that Venn diagram also somehow included the Super Bowl this year. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, like uh, I I was really happy uh, for Inglewood first of all. Yeah, because I I grew up in Inglewood. I got my Lakers hat on. Yep. Uh, a hardwired Laker fan. And I think that uh, just the beauty of, of living on Crenshaw and, and mm-hmm. just, uh, you know, Kabasi's from England. Everybody's living in Inglewood and mm-hmm. just to have some the stadium there and just the Super Bowl come there and the Rams come back and then they win the championship. Like, it was just a bunch of great things all in one. Yeah. Uh, And I feel like at this time of my life, like I'm much more mature and able to really uh, have the wisdom to take in the moment. And that was the best thing. It was just like, I didn't really have to get there and um, try to get on or try to, you know, do all of this smoothing and rubbing elbows because everybody knew who I was. And I talked with everybody. (laughs) Dr. Dr. Dre was just like, uh, Ryan, come, let's go. Yeah, I mean, and the best thing about it is his memory of me is always seeing me in the studio and always working. So it's, it's just great to uh, be back and not have to say, oh, use me, do You know, it's like, yeah, I have everything I want. You know, yeah. I, I play with some incredible musicians already and we just can't stop making good music. So I don't need to like rap record deal. Like there's so many things that he can give that he's already given. So I don't. Ha- all I could do is just enjoy the mo- moment. Same thing with Snoop. I, he took me on my first tour, you know, and, and just like for years we were rolling together. Mm-hmm. And it's just like to have that reunion and see all of the people that he works with still there. And just it was like a family reunion. So it was it was good to be in that moment and not have to like and just really enjoy the moment, you yeah. know. And, and and that was the best part of it is just. uh just seeing all the people and just the joy, the celebration of, of Dr. Dre's life and, and his career. Mm-hmm. It was inspiring. It was really inspiring. Can you talk about that process? I mean, this is incredible. So like um, one thing that I noticed immediately, cause I, I love like fashion stuff was like rich fresh. Cause I'm like, Oh, this musician's wearing rich fresh. I'm like, Oh, Snoop. He looks like he's wearing rich fresh. And then I'm like, Oh, these people are wearing rich, rich, uh, rich, fresh too. So like, were you also wearing rich, fresh? I was, they gave it all to us to perform. <laughs> How did this all and happen? I, and did you get fitted? Was it like a bespoke sweatsuit that you were wearing? Like, 
No, they they got it fitted. They they had wow. you know time to to take all the measurements and stuff. I'm not familiar with who Rich Fresh is. Maybe you can enlighten me. Um, just a a, a designer. Um, makes bespoke suits. Works a lot with Lena Waithe and uh, and other other people. But like, uh, what's very um, distinguishable about him is that. Uh, it's a lot of uh, kind of like leisure, almost like leisure suits, like sort of like a, like a, it harkens back to like Tuna, Tony Soprano and like like gangsters. They would wear sort of like a leisure, like a kind of track suit. But like he's yeah. elevated the track suit, color blocking and um, just like really beautiful fabrics. So it's like it's a very elegant track suit. But then uh, he also makes really beautiful like double breasted suits, um, like Armani level you know, suits and, and it's, it's, um, you know, uh, tailored to that person. So like, and there was like a lot of people on stage. So it was like, I don't know, 20 or 30 of you in like these, uh, bespoke outfits, bespoke meaning that like tailored specially to you. Absolutely. They, they really wanted a thorough, uh, measurement. Yeah. And, uh, I thought that they did a great job. Like, yeah, killed the it. The suit that I had in, in particular, like you said, it was that sweat suit, real comfortable type of material. Uh-huh. But the cut was different. Like the mm-hmm. pants I had on was it had, of course, they felt like uh, workout pants, but they were cut like suit pants. Yeah. You know, they had the crease and they had the nice pockets. The waist was adjustable to where I didn't need a belt. And then did uh, you get to I had keep a them? No. No, we didn't get to keep them. Oh, <laughs> so they fitted you. You're like, oh, this is so nice. You're getting that, like the plush treatment, you know, but then they were like, all right, give it back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's one of the things as an entertainer, you got to know that it's, it's really, as much as you would like to have this stuff, it's a, it's people that are uh, trying to get their money back to you like and I, I appreciate the fact that you gave it to me to put on and we looked mm-hmm. fresh we took pictures like it looks like it's mine but it uh, <laughs> definitely was was not part of the package you know <laughs> oh wow <laughs> Um, so that, okay, what well, was it like another memory? Because again, this is, um, and it's funny too, because that day um, we, um, Sean, our son and I, we watched in Santa Monica at, at my in-laws. And then afterwards when we headed home, we were on Slauson and, and Fairfax and we um, parked in such a way that we could kind of see SoFi in the distance so mm-hmm. it was almost like it was like it was almost like we were there. <laughs> so yeah. like, but what was it like? What was it like for you to be there? What's like your most memorable moment playing at the Super Bowl this year? Well, first of all, it was my first memorable moment. I never played at the Super Bowl, never went to the Super Bowl. So yeah, uh, just off the top, the preparation. How uh, long did it take for. to prepare? Well, I know that they started preparing probably uh at the first of the year mm-hmm. it's like know, a good January. month uh-huh yeah good month and i'm and this is as far as i've known i know that the the musicians and choreographers and people like that especially dre he was probably uh prepared for it at the top of december yeah. so uh once we got kind of rolling around the band was already rehearsed and had the show and all we had to do was kind of put the horns in in uh their proper place Mm-hmm. And I think what we were doing it for, it was almost in shock. 
because you're like, yeah, it's the Super Bowl, yeah, it's the studio. But once you get to the field mm-hmm. and it's like you see the set. And you try, you got your rich fresh on. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you're there. <laughs> <laughs> then it just, it makes you so excited. You know, it, you see all of these artists every day and it's just like, you see in Mary J. Blige and Eminem yeah. and, you know, there, they're right there in the room. And, you and J- Jay-Z and- was there too, because he works with the NFL. He's connected to the NFL. So he's there also. So all the people like in your orbit are there. It's strange because, I'm going to tell you the truth. It is like two different worlds mm-hmm. from being a rapper and being a jazz musician, mm-hmm. you know? So for me, I feel the pendulum all the time. Cause it's like, once I put the horn in the case, it, it's a different world than it would be for a rapper or a Snoop Dogg or something. It's like, <laughs> you know, but uh, it was amazing to really be there at that moment mm-hmm. in like, uh, be making something together, you know, and, mm-hmm. and being able to share those, that moment. Is there something that you got to keep from, from that event? Like a souvenir? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they, they gave uh, us a Super Bowl halftime sweatshirt mm-hmm. and like a, a Super Bowl halftime t-shirt, long sleeve. So I gave those to my kids. Oh, <laughs> And, nice. that, that was, yeah. and then, of course, the opportunity of a lifetime. I mean, we, we I can go back and look at that performance and that, that makes me happy. Like, I, I really get all of the kicks, all of my, like, kicks from the music and the performances, mm-hmm. you know. And I think over the years, that's, that's one of the best things to walk away with is just that moment, you know. Yeah, that's amazing. Okay, so, you know, we talked about Super Bowl. Um, you know, I also want to talk to you and, you know, again, going back to like that, that um, amorphous, like LA jazz bubble that you're a part of, you've traveled all over the world together, um, including Russia and the Ukraine. Um, what was, what was, what were your experiences like there? You know, as of today, we're talking, um, you know, Russia has attacked Ukraine. Biden has promised uh, consequences on Twitter. Ukraine is like, yo, get rid of uh, Russia's Twitter handle. <laughs> like They're like, they need to be removed from the site. Uh, so when our chat comes out, who knows where we'll be in the world right now. Um, but I'd love for you to share any like positive memory from when you played in Russia, when you played in Ukraine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, you know, one of the best things that I love about traveling mm-hmm. is that you really get to gather your own perspective. Mm-hmm. And and you see how strong your perspective is based off of the stuff you hear over, you know, that that isn't your personal experience. So when I went to Russia, I had a total different personal view on the country than what it was. And were you warned think- about anything before going? I mean, I've had some tough experiences there personally, mm-hmm. you know, and before going, I was warned about the racism. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I've had heard experiences of people being spat on and done all of this stuff, uh, you know, in public. Yeah. But I think that um, the beautiful part about the music and the people that really appreciate it is that it was never the people that invited us, you know, so the power of just individuality and in, in it changed everything because the mm-hmm. people who invited us, they loved our music and accepted us for what we were and what we were coming to bring. So it created that safe haven for us and put us in uh, 
in contact with more like-minded people yeah. and that challenged my love like for Russia yeah and for Russian people because I got to take out every negative thing that I ever saw about Russia and, and filled it in with all the love that I was getting from the people that invited us over there yeah and that really made a difference for me so once I went to uh, Moscow just connecting of course you're gonna meet we meet crazy people here so oh yeah. To, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, cuz so I I I interviewed I interviewed um actually it was uh, Chris Rock's cousin. I interviewed her. She's an amazing writer. She was doing a show out in Utah for several months and she was talking about her experiences in Utah which was jacked up in a lot of ways. But then, you know, she had some really amazing bright spots as well. So, um were you, I'm sorry, what were you going to say? Oh no, no. It's just like that. I I've, I've had better bright spots than I did dark spots. You That's know, good. and I think that I, being from here, I have a, more of a higher tolerance for having <laughs> handling the dark spot mm-hmm. and really getting the best out of, uh, you know, the people that really accepted our music and that like just we're down to just really talk and converse about just how life was and, and, and to see the similarities, you know, and I'm not really uh, in the politics like that, but I am conscientious of what I've been through. Yeah. And how to be conscientious of, of being uh, considerate about what everybody else going through. And I know that it wasn't easy, but they found this joy and this love through our music that we could share, you know? Yeah. And I think that that was the power of uh, what I got to see that was part of a legacy of people who were willing to love people enough to accept them in to their surroundings and to bring something that, you know, was not... Uh, was more helpful to them to, for healing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the music for me is healing and it helps me to get through the day or get through these hard times that we've had. So for us to share that uh, with Kamasi's music or with John Coltrane or whoever helped to create that legacy of us being able to get to Russia, yeah. that was kind of more along the lines of what we were going along, you know, that deep appreciation. So we, us being able to connect to that pocket of people that came to the show and that invited us over there, mm-hmm. it way out blew all of the negative stuff. Just like in this city, Los Angeles is full of kind of, you know, Ooh, but I think yeah. even the, <laughs> yeah, the people in our, that we're talking about in our creative circle, mm-hmm. they make up for that. So yeah. even when I went to Ukraine, I went there the first time with uh, Al McKay, mm-hmm. who is the guitar player for Earth, Wind & Fire. Mm-hmm. And we went there and of course, you think that it would be, a, a, it, they have their stuff going on. It's like, you know, it's, it's tough in a negative way. But at the same time, to see people uh, being overjoyed and singing September. Like, that's all yeah. I remember. We got there in the airport, and the airport was shady. We were trying not to get robbed. But then there was a cool <laughs> guy who... <laughs> so you're just like, so you're, you're clutching your, your bags. <laughs> 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 you're that that dashiki that you wear was like not leveling the playing field you they were like these people might have some money yeah it was like no, uh-huh. this is not, no but it was like seeing those guys with those signs that was like hey we're here for al mckay yeah like you know and we'll we'll fight off all of these guys so we oh can get God. you to the concert and it was just like uh, once we got there and, and people opened up to us and showed us mm-hmm. how they were living and where we would perform and then the people that came to the show and the amount of love that they had for the music, and 
just seeing the joy, that's one of the things about musicians is that you go to these places and see people having a good time mm -hmm. and like really enjoying themselves. And I'm so happy that I can remember that more than I can remember anything negative. You know, uh, of course, Russia and Ukraine, they got their things going on, but I feel like I've been blessed and fortunate to really come in and see pockets of, of beautiful sides of, of people on both sides of the spectrum. So yeah, it's I unfortunate that they, mm -hmm. they have to be going through a war and all of these things, because when I think about mm -hmm. those beautiful people that I met mm -hmm. there, it, it of course, it, it hurts, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't like war in general. So, no. you know, uh, just, just meeting people there and developing those relationships and then knowing that they have to go through uh, such things like that is it, never easy, you know. Right. Because in all these countries like, you know, Russia, Ukraine, uh, Asia, you know, you know, thinking about like uh, Japan or, or China, like these are all countries that you've been to, too, and, and, and played in, um, you know, there has to be something that like for because uh, even uh, last week I was talking to Matthew Wright. Um, he's a journalist. They are, they are journalists. Sorry. And they they travel and, you know, there has to be something that keeps you traveling because it's, it's hard as it's, it's, you know, it's hard as a black person to like, to, you want to go to these places because you read about them. You, you're interested, you, you, you read, you, you, you listen to different kinds of musics. Like you, you want to, you want to experience these other um, parts of the world. But then at the same time, there's that thought, like, what's it going to be like when, once I'm there? Like even, uh, I remember it was like Jamie Foxx or something having a negative experience, I think in like Romania or, or Croatia or somewhere. Uh, but you know, there has to be something that, that keeps you going, that keeps you like going to these places to, to play because, you know, all over the world, they listen to black music and, and they want, they want these people to come, these bands to come and play. Uh, but it's just like, uh, the musician who might not be recognized on the street as like a music, as like Michael Jackson or like my Michael Jordan, you're just a regular guy walking down the street and you might have a negative experience, but then I don't know if I'm where I'm going with this, but basically like what keeps you going, what keeps you traveling to these places and, 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 uh, seeking to, to get your music out there. I, I think, uh, it's really the similarity, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that the artist community, number one, mm -hmm. you know, there's a deep uh, community of artists everywhere we've gone that that appreciates not just us, but the, the art in itself and the lifestyle to make the art, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that there's not a lot of those people, <laughs> you know, but there, there are enough to really facilitate, yeah, to, to help in small pockets of the world to connect why their love for music is so strong. And mm -hmm. then it, it uh, helps us to, to really feel the love that we need and the appreciation that we need to make up for all of the, you know, like even when I went to China, like uh, there was a small group of people there that wanted us to play at the Blue Note there. Yeah. You know, in the Blue Note. Oh, they have their own Blue Note. They have a blue they have note. Several, yeah, yeah. <laughs> blue note is a famous New York club, but they have one. They have several in China. Okay. Yeah, Japan. I mean, we we did a tour of all of the blue notes. Oh, okay. All throughout Asia. All throughout Asia and the world. That's amazing. Basically. Okay. Yeah, 
and um there they it's it's almost like that comes with a level of appreciation because the blue note itself has a, a reputation mm-hmm. uh for the legacy of, of music so people already come there with that mindset already you mm-hmm. know intact so that kind of alleviates a little bit of the pressure of course away from that community it can be dangerous yeah so one of the things that the biggest rules is always stay tied in and tapped into your bandmates or people that are uh helping you because it is dangerous for yeah. us when we go to other places so you kind of need to be in the safe haven and that, but once you get into that and it, it becomes over years because i've been touring since for 20 years right first time i went to to japan was in 2002 and now i have friends and like family over there it's people i consider you know, not just in Japan, but just multiple parts of the world yeah. where it's branched out and grown into it. Like, and if I come into town now and say with me and Kamasi come, mm-hmm. it's people that are taking us to jam sessions, taking us to museums, taking us to art exhibits, exhibitions to where it's just like you get tapped in right away to the, to the community of creative community to where even just like here, if you're mm-hmm. not tapped into the world that's positive that you want to be, it could be kind of dark in Los Angeles too, you know? Oh but, yeah. Uh, just like we were saying with the guys in this creative community who kind of helps to bring light to that. Mm-hmm. They're, they're all over the world. And I think for a musician, it's tough that we get to see one side of this togetherness that can happen, you know, if the world was one and we yeah. didn't focus. Kind of like when um, Kamasi made that truth song. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about the truth is that like we more if we celebrated each other's differences as opposed to tolerated it, it would be un- unimaginable what can happen. So it's a right. little frustrating to go to these places and know that the people who see this way are outnumbered. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like the people that invited me to Russia, they're outnumbered by people yeah. who don't share the same amount of, of views, you know, and, and it's like that everywhere. But when we have a concert and go to these shows and we see thousands upon thousands and sometimes millions of people who are agreeing on just one thing, it's like, man, what if the world was like this? What if we could yeah, one by one? Yeah, it makes you hopeful. It really does. And that, that's the more the feeling that I get when I travel is the pole, it takes over the anxiety. And mm-hmm. I think that also it helps to like, wipe away some of the preconceived things that I might think of a place and accept the love that's actually there from mm-hmm. the people. Cause I can go in with a negative attitude and think I heard this and I heard that, mm-hmm. or, you know, or I can come in and see what actually happened and accept yeah. that, you know, and that, yeah. that's the beautiful part of it. Yeah. I mean, I remember I was going to school in Boston and uh, like before I started college and the only advice my brother, because I mean, my brother had studied in France and Algeria, but like, I don't know, his his one Boston thing was like, oh, man, people are racist there. Just, uh, you know, just be careful. Just don't, don't talk to anybody. But it's like um, I didn't know what to expect. So I just, you know, I went and I, I had an open mind. Yes, people were, were racist and I, I have not been back to Boston in a very long yeah. time. But yeah. uh, but, you know, I had my experiences and it's fine like I, I i survived i survived college yeah and you know the thing about it is that especially african-american people mm-hmm. we never get the opportunity to really get away no it's like you 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 don't get away from racism you know unfortunately we learn how to tolerate it but the biggest thing i got out of traveling is that there's different kinds mm-hmm. so you almost like learn what is your favorite type of race. <laughs> 
(laughs) (laughs) What is your favorite type of racism? I like blatant and just stone. (laughs) Tell me you don't like you know, <laughs> that's sort of like the South. I feel like because uh, I one of my sisters has lived in the South forever um, from Texas and now North North Carolina. And yeah, it's just it, it is blatant. It's just yeah, it is it, what it, it is. I, that's the heartbreaking thing about it. And that when I as a youngster, when I was traveling in my early 20s, mm-hmm. I would think and I would get frustrated because I would go all over the world and I would mm-hmm. be encountered with racism. Mm-hmm. And it would be a little heartbreaking because I'm thinking it's nowhere on the planet that I could go where I'm not profiled and, and discriminated yeah. against, you know. But then, of course, that with these small pockets in the creative community that it would accept you for what you love, you know, mm-hmm. and that kind of helped to tolerate it. But also not being a real slave to, like, giving yourself a break. If the right. world's not going to give you a break, I'm going to give myself a break and not think about being black today. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to just think about what I got That's some do. self-care. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm going to give myself a break. And I would get the opportunity to have a break and go and be a musician as opposed to be this African man. You know, like, yeah. it was not like I was abandoning it, but it was like, hey, like, I want to go see the Eiffel Tower today. And I'm not letting anybody stop that. You know, yeah. so I'm gonna, you know, it's just that simple, you know. And, so. and, and just to try to set up safeguards for, you know, when you go, just as, yeah. as anyone, as anyone does. Um, but invite I, that promoter, invite your friend, say, hey, look, we're going to the museum. <laughs> <laughs> Trombone. Uh, I want to talk to you uh, before we play a game. I want to talk to you about like, I, I guess, like the mechanics of like a trom, like the trombone being a trombone musician, trombonist um, is funny because like this month I've had some like funny trombone associated moments um, with my uh, having so, somewhat having to do with my kids. So like, you know, I was chatting with a mom at school pickup and she's a she was a trombonist in her in her college uh, marching band where she met her husband, who's also a trombonist in the marching band um she was talking about her her kid um you know might um you know she she's not sure what instrument um they're gonna pick up when uh, next year when they get to pick their own instruments um and uh and then like recently our son um told sean that like he wants to play trombone um because he saw his teacher playing his his teacher was playing like um i think it was like star wars or like uh the theme song I forgot but like he was just uh he he was so enthralled like it was it was so amazing to him but like Sean who's a woodwind player um you know he wasn't like disappointed per se that like Lucas was like oh you know I, I won't play trombone but he was kind of like you know what what why don't you try to get a sound out of a, a flute <laughs> or like you know let me let me show you a couple things on the saxophone you know because it, it is a very complex instrument it takes time dedication to learn so like like for you like I um I know that you you heard JJ Johnson and and you were like I want to do this but like um how did trombone like stay in your life and how has it made it better Oh, man, I think that uh, it stayed in my life by really uh, seeing guys who love the trombone Mm -hmm. and hearing their stories about how they got started. You know, Mm -hmm. because most kids, you want to say, like, why do you want to deal with all of this hardship from this? (laughs) Like, what made you? And I think that uh, George Bohannon, that was my first trombone teacher. 
Well, okay. it was two guys. There's one guy named um, John Spencer, who was at my junior high school band director. Mm-hmm. And he had a beautiful sound on a trombone. And he was like very, uh, he wanted me to learn how to read music. Like he wouldn't even let me touch the trombone until I went through a series of tests, you know? So he was, he was very thorough with me about helping In me. Reading. Really, reading, yeah. but also so that I can learn the technical studies book so that mm-hmm. I can cover a lot of ground for myself as far as how to read and make steps out of the different exercises so that I can get familiar with the slide and buzzing the mouthpiece and all these fundamental things to help me to have some confidence about playing it you know but then because i'm I'm sorry to interrupt because like with uh with trombone i i equate it almost like with uh with like drumming where you could play free and not even like know how to read musical notes like you could just kind of make sounds with it am i wrong or like um no no you have to you have to know how to read music in order to play the trombone well it helps just because it sucks uh it's, it's such a shot in the dark like it's so many different slots on the trombone the best way i could uh, like like make an analogy for it is like it's like the guitar and the guitar Mm -hmm. you can see all of the frets you know going down each one but the trombone is the same thing but it's imaginary Mm -hmm. so like of course you can feel the different registers when you play first position and you got six or seven notes there and then all the way down to seven position you have this grid of notes but it's only something that you can see, like mm-hmm. as a trombonist, you know, or if you have the chops to really get up to all of these different slots, but it looks like a guitar, mm-hmm. but it's just on the trombone slide. So that's the best way I can kind of bridge how it, it looks. But uh, I got my inspiration from wanting to keep the trombone in my life mm-hmm. just because I love the sound of it. Yeah. I just love the sound of it. It's so, uh, it has the most range. It can get lower than the bass you know, like the actual bass mm-hmm. and it can like be anything. Like you can slide some of the notes and imitate a vocalist or you can imitate a saxophone. Like mm-hmm. it, it, it has it's such uh, has such a variety of things that it can do. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of pick up when somebody loves the trombone and when they don't. Mm-hmm. Cause when they really love it, it don't sound like a circus instrument. It doesn't sound uh-huh. like something that you would just want to hear accompany something <laughs> you know it's like something that you want to hear in the front yeah and i think that uh being able to take lessons from from george bohannon like he he was one of the guys who lived through the motown era who was in uh with chico hamilton playing with, with okay. charles lloyd and uh-huh. on some blue mental records and alice coltrane records and then wow. also on some earth wind and fire records and all of these different varieties of music and he's all self-taught. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So it gave me a variation, like, between him and John and saying this guy is really rooted in classical music and trombone excellence. And then not saying that George wasn't, but it was more of a self-taught through the community type mm-hmm. education where he learned how to play different keys from playing with guitar players because they mm-hmm. play all different keys than a normal brass player, like, so it's just his stuff was more on the um, from experience, you know. So him uh, go, being able to go to him and get an unconventional way to learn how to do something mm-hmm. gave me a lot of contrast, you know. And to hear his story, like 
he only did that because he loved the trombone. Like he heard the trombone at church, and when he saw it, he was in tears. Wow! You know, <laughs> but because of the sounds, he, the sounds that it could make yeah, with just the was, slide. Yeah, it it was just and the the vocal uh, presence that it has. I guess for him seeing that and knowing the words to these songs that these trombone players were imitating touched him in a different way and he begged his parents for a trombone and he told me instead of his father getting linoleum on the floor oh. he got a trombone oh. <laughs> you know? it, it changed my life because if wow. his father had made that decision he would not have only affected me but so many trombonists that have ever heard about him wow so it, it's just those sacrifices that his parents made and that he made and that for his love that I think it takes a huge part of that to want to play this instrument. Yeah. Because it's hard. It's hard, but you really got to just love it. You, you do. And it's funny because, like, I keep thinking about those avocado fries and then, <laughs> you know, your, your, uh, how you, uh, connected like the guitar to the trombone. So it's like, it's a lot of like, um, not, not gaslighting per se, but like you, you have to think really expansively. Um, you have to, you have to, like, um, and then also with playing the trombone, like there's the mouth control, there's the energy, you can get very tired. So, so even like parenting with like listening. So it's like, it's, it's all kind of coming together for me. It's avocado fries, guitar and listening. So it's like, um, <laughs> like, how do you, how do you keep that, le that energy level up, you know, controlling your mouth muscles, working the slide, um, and then, and then trying to, constantly just think out outside of the box like how do you how do you uh and and you know you've played all over the world so you're traveling you're playing these like hour long or more sets um you know how do you keep that energy up i think it's, it's really turns into something spiritual mm -hmm. <laughs> you know of course practicing and, and just really being uh, realistic about what it is that you're trying to attain. It's not, it's more than just a mental thing. It's not like, okay, well, if I think hard enough or listen to all these records, that'll happen. But it's, it's more uh, just saying, okay, for the wind and the endurance, I have to work out. Like I can't, you know, I have to really try to uh, limit some of the leisurely things that I like, you know, and just yeah. really play, be, pay more attention to what it is I'm trying to attain on the trombone. So if it means hours of long tones or, or some uh, extensive practicing, that just makes the performance easier. Mm -hmm. And that means that you can do more of what you want to do. It's like the more you practice uh, on the technical part, the more freedom you have on the trombone. It's, it's, it's such a weird thing. So if I have a performance coming up, then I, I want to try to practice a little bit harder by myself mm -hmm. than I will on that performance, just so I can exercise some freedoms and look cool. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Because <laughs> the trombone is such an awkward thing. It's hard to make it look cool. But I think the more you prepared you are, then you can be more cool because you, you, you're prepared. So you kind of know what's happening. And I think it's more about what you do when nobody's watching than it is when somebody's watching. Whoa. So again, like for, um, for practicing, which is also called shedding, which I learned, yeah. you know, through Sean. So like how long yeah. do you shed for? How long, what's it, what's it, um, what's it sort of like a normal, uh, shed process? And then what's like, you know, Super Bowl level preparation process like? 
I think it's for because it goes like personal, mm-hmm. and then like once you involve somebody else, like of course I have my personal thing that I'll do. Uh, and I think it always like it's like working out. It's like you have to make time for it. So mm-hmm. even if it's a half hour, just running through something uh, on a routine type level. Mm-hmm. just to where you know that because I've been doing this thing for 15 minutes like it's getting easier every day yeah you know and that's just that one thing but like once it comes to the interaction of jazz it's so it's it's almost like going getting some glasses each lens is made specifically for this set of glasses so it's not like I could take this lens and pop it in any glasses yeah. and that's how all of the songs are mm-hmm. they're all tailor-made so it's not like you can figure out one way to play all of these different songs. So I think that that's the fun part about me is I, I'm a person who likes crossword puzzles and Sudoku and all of this. So that's how I see the music is like, okay, well. Do you do Wordle? Do you fuck with yeah. Wordle? Yeah. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> it's, just a, it's just like making a song for me because you get all of these notes and then you have to make sure that there's nothing clashing. Yes. It's just like you do this this investigation. You're the detective now of this song. It's like, oh, I used that letter already. So I gotta I gotta switch it up. I gotta do this one. I gotta try the L. I, I gotta try W. Yeah, and that was kind of like your analogy when you were saying, okay, well, it's like having a word and seeing how many words you can make out of that one. Mm-hmm. And I, that's just like harmony is for me. So that's when I include other people in my practice. That's when I'll go and I'll say, okay, Brandon. I know that we have a performance and you gave me three songs. Like, what what are you working on on your practice? Because every, every guy has these, like, songs that they're working on that are kind of, like, uh, pivotal songs as far as their creativity and, and the harmony and the, the structure of, of just how you learn it is mm-hmm. important. So I really just try to uh, pick a list of songs, pick a list of exercises, and then, of course, if I'm working with somebody, they'll give me songs and I start to practice on those mm-hmm. so that I can get familiar. And then that's when I ask to get together. Say, hey, look, I need to, you to really tell me. Like with Kamasi, he has songs that we've set there and it's like learning your song is one thing, but how do I take a solo over this? And what should I be thinking about? Mm-hmm. You know, what scale should I be thinking about? Like what references did you have when you were writing this song? Like. You just do this investigation and I get addicted to it. I'm addicted yeah. to making music and going to performances and jam sessions because the the challenge, you know. So I think that's one of the reasons that's kept me playing trombone because it's never the same music. Right. It's never the same way of doing things. And I'm always intrigued by how it's going to be different. Every performance, wow. everything. Every time we go to the studio, I'm so... And then you got other guys that are practicing too. And they write mm-hmm. these songs for you that are challenging. And you're like, man, you think I can do this? <laughs> oh my God. So you it kind of raises your bar of what you can do. And then you do it. And then you feel like you accomplished something and you help the musician that wrote the song to accomplish something mm-hmm. so we can play it together and premiere it. And it turns into this thing where the music keeps growing because that song never stays the same. You know, wow. every time we pick it up, it's going to be something new. Wow. Um, this is amazing. I could talk to you uh, forever. Um, I have all these like, different ideas, but like, um, but let's play, let's play a quick game. Game. 
um, okay. it's a it's a very silly game. <laughs> it's a uh, you know because we were talking about puppets earlier. So yeah. you know, I wanna I wanna quiz you. It's like flashcard style quiz with with puppets. So the rules are simple. You know, I want to. It's like I want you to imagine that I'm holding up flashcards and I want you to um, to guess the answer that would be on the back of them. Uh, so okay. there are no, of course, no winners here. It's just, you know, just <laughs> yeah. fucking around talking about, uh, you know, yeah. puppets. Are you ready? <laughs> I'm ready. Okay. What are the two simplest forms of puppets? I think the very uh, simplest and probably the first is the sock puppet. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Where, where that, is, uh, what, do you, what do you put into the sock? Like uh, Nothing. You just put your hand in there and then you take two uh, buttons or something and you put them on the sock, make some eyes. Yes. And then you just, you know, take your hand like that and that creates the mouth and that's, you're done. You can, mm -hmm. you can make that with kids real quick. And then the second one, mm -hmm would probably be like a little bit more complicated but it would be like a uh uh like a i don't know that's not that it's not that simple the second one might be a little bit more complicated because you would have to have a sewing machine and much more tools in order to make the puppet Right. Uh, so, so that the the two simplest forms of of puppets, you're you're getting you're getting there. Um, you you had it basically, but like hand <laughs> puppets, yes, yeah, and finger uh, puppets. Come on, yeah. <laughs> I think that 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 was a trick question. It was a trick question. It was a trick question. <laughs> yeah. So hand puppets first, and then sock puppets would probably be like number two <laughs> right so um yeah. okay second question the muppets are this kind of puppet the muppets are they're definitely um more muppets because the name is in the name because yeah. they're, they're monsters yes monsters aren't really in, imitating anything they're like their own creature right but but, yeah. um, but would they be but would they be like a finger puppet or like what kind of what kind of puppet? Mostly no, they there? would be more. Um, they, it's in the name, so like it's a mixture of monster and puppet. Yeah, that's what makes Muppets. So puppets are something that are an imitation of something, uh -huh. but a, a Muppet is a monster mixed with a puppet. <laughs> so <laughs> yes, that is true. They're also they're, they are hand hand rod puppets. So it's like hand, hand and they use a rod. So they're, they're a type of hand rod puppet too. Oh yeah. Oh absolutely. <laughs> so maybe I'm taking the questions that you asking me. <laughs> I I mean you're you're cuz you're a trombone player. So you're you're taking it like real um extreme. <laughs> you're, you're taking it real expansive. Um, <laughs> but like uh so these kind of uh, the next question is these kind of puppets are articulated cutout figures which are held between a source of light and a translucent screen or scrim what kind of puppets are, are those mm. they're cut out mm -hmm. with like light in in front of a screen mm. That's a good one. I'll give you. Well, I was part of a a, a gamelan ensemble at Wesleyan, and we had a show where we featured these, and it was really like cool. marionette. From, yeah, from Indonesia. It's like marionette, but like in front of a screen. Mm. 
So you just see the silhouettes. I'm not sure. I might have to call. Can I phone a friend? <laughs> <laughs> Shadow puppets. Shadow, come on. Yes. Yeah, that's like the very first simple one. I'm put I'm putting too much thought into these questions. Okay. Oh, this is this I'm I'm this is uh this is not the best uh quiz. Um okay, no, so great. thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, what type of puppet is Big Bird from Sesame Street? Oh man, he I think he's a combination of a puppet and like a costume. Yeah, yeah. So he's a full body puppet. Yeah, full. That's the correct term. Full yeah. body puppet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. No, what were you gonna say? Yeah, just like Carol Spinney would, uh, 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 R.A.P. would would go in the suit. I think absolutely. Uh -huh. Yeah, no, he would go in the suit, and then he still had to use his hands as a puppet with the eyes and the beak and all of that stuff. So yeah, yeah. No, that was that was incredible. Yeah, yeah. A little big bird. Um, okay, which term means bringing a puppet to life? Is it manipulation, animation, vocalization, vocalization, yeah. <laughs> or construction? Hmm. I would think animation. Yes, animation. Yeah. So. Yeah. Next question, which of the following must be included in the introduction before your puppet performance? Is it the title of the children's book your group used, the author's name, the illustrator's name, or all of the above? Uh, it, it would be all of the above. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. Uh, yeah, for the performance, you need the the children's book, you need the author's name, the illustrator's name. That's um, really cool. So the next one is which of the following will not be scored during your puppet performance? Is it the length of time for your performance must be at least two minutes long? Scenery and props, items other than the characters in your performance. Is it animation? movement and action of your puppets or is it vocalization the voices used for each puppets each puppet so you you what was the first initial question um which of the following will not be scored during oh. your puppet performance there's a lot because <laughs> i can tell you know uh say, say say the options that you said again the length of time yeah. for your performance the scenery and props, the animation, or the vocalization? I think the animation, because the animation is always the part where being a puppeteer, you would really try to lock eyes with the camera. Uh -huh. And there's no way for you to write that down. It's just like you have to be looking at some type of monitor or at the camera and then find a, a place to lock eyes mm -hmm. and then try to illustrate the, the emotion. Yes. That. So yeah. that's nothing you write down. It's it's all just based off of just doing it. You know what I mean? And of course, do you write down what you want the puppet to be saying or how you want them to feel? But as far as making that movement, that's all animation. Yeah, I mean, that is uh, that is true. But the, but the answer for this quiz, um, and I I don't even know what will be scored. I don't even know. What that means. But <laughs> no, no, it, you it's know, the <laughs> like having time. a chart. 
but it's the length of time for your performance. It must be at least two minutes long. Okay. So that's an interesting rule, I thought. Um, but yeah, I mean, it makes sense with with the animation and with connecting to the to the audience that that makes that makes sense. But like, yeah, for for this um, for that question, that 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 was the answer that I found. Man, it's, it's amazing how much I'm overthinking these questions. That's that's probably why I'm a trombone player. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, because you're you're the one that 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 I guess that's that's um that's sort of like your place in the band is is the one um in, in not not you. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, specifically, but just like you know, a trombone player—they—they're the ones that have to think outside the outside the box. I think it's really because you have to learn how the music translates to your instrument. Your instrument mm-hmm. is so difficult. Mm-hmm. So it's one thing to hear music and to say, "Oh, that's nice," like, but how does that translate to how you can play it on a trombone? It's like. Now that's 13 positions and it might be this register. So it forces me to think about it and how it translates to the trombone. So I guess I do that with everything. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like how, how does that translate to, you know, so it, it's just a weird way of thinking, I guess. I never really thought about it that way. But it's, you think. Yeah. I mean, you made me see things differently. The avocado fries. I can't, I can't stop thinking about, um, I'm going <laughs> to get frankincense and rose water, uh, yeah. on my day off today. Um, nice. like you, you've, uh, you've, um, really, you've expanded my universe in just our, our oh. conversation. So thank you. <laughs> um, uh, thank you. But like, what's, what's making you happy these days? My kids. Yeah. I think that they, they definitely make me happy. You know, mm-hmm. they uh, just just seeing them grow and learn and, and just uh, bloom into these young adults. Uh, it, it really adds some, some, um, some just it makes me question the future so much about their future. And it makes me happy. And yeah. I'm, I'm so happy that I could be here with them, you know, most yeah. of the time to share memories and stuff. So that, yeah, that just makes would. me Yeah. Mm, Yes, it just it's makes a blessing. me so generally happy. Yeah. 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 And then I think um being around such creative people, everybody's got such beautiful art mm-hmm. and just showcasing that art. I always get excited about shows. So, you know, just just being able to premiere uh my own work or my mm-hmm. friend's work in a way that shows it some due diligence is nice. You know, mm-hmm. that makes me happy. I like getting ready for stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, how can people find you and see and see uh, see you see um, see you uh, uh, playing? Like, uh, you know, how how can people find you? Well, Instagram is probably the best way. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm probably posting like every other day on, on and that's at Ryan Papa Porter P A P A P O R T E R on Instagram. And then I also have a website, mm-hmm. and uh, that is at www. Mm-hmm dot ryan porter official.com yes and uh i put all types of things it has a kind of a bio and just kind of things from my experiences on my last record which was mm-hmm. uh live in paris at new morning mm-hmm. and uh just different articles and I'm, I'm gonna keep putting stuff on there just just if i want you to watch out for so between those two those are great uh those are kind of like my first go-to mm-hmm. you know Oh, this is amazing. So thank you so much. Check out Ryan Porter on Insta and online at ryanporterofficial.com. 
Thank you so much, Ryan. This has been amazing. Thank you. <laughs> hey, thank you. And thank I look forward to doing it again. Yes, yes, for sure. <laughs> yeah, especially um, yeah, we can talk more about about puppets I, and and trombone, but uh, but yeah, we could yeah, for sure. But uh, we'll see you next week. I'm Yummy Coco. Keep your lamplight trimmed and burning. Bye. Bye.